Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you enjoy. Well, if you guys don't know me, my name is Tim, and I am the junior high coordinator here at Seacoast. And I we gave uh, Matt the night off from speaking, so he gave me the opportunity to continue our series in Romans. So the last two weeks, we started in the book of Romans, very, very, very intense, packed book written by the Apostle Paul. And so week one and two, Matt spent um, that time going through Romans chapter one, kind of showing us where Paul kind of sets the tone for the rest of the book. Tonight, we'll be actually entering into Romans chapter 2. So from the very beginning, you guys can open your Bibles right to Romans 2. We'll start right there in a few seconds. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have many for you. You can feel free to go grab one from one of our leaders if they're around. Um, We got one with your name right on it. So tonight, we're going to be only going through about 11 verses. But in order to cover the 11 verses, we need a lot of context because... It is not a good practice in the Bible and reading just to like look at a few verses and like that's it. We got we to gotta look at what's happening before and a little bit after in order to really understand what Paul, through God's word, is, is trying to portray to us. So previous two weeks, if you were not here, Romans chapter 1. Paul opens up this book kind of with like an unusual tone. Normally, Paul would be writing letters to, to churches across the world. See, Paul was an apostle, an apostle from the Greek word apostolos, literally translates to the one who is sent out. So he's sent out by Jesus, commissioned by Jesus to go around the world and to spread Christianity, spread the good news, spread the gospel. So he goes to pretty much like all the known world or all the the Roman Empire. He goes up what we know is like the Western Middle East, Turkey, Greece, Italy, even all the way a little bit further west than that. And so he's going and he's planting churches. And after he plants churches, he leaves them. Like he goes and starts them like a missionary and then goes and, and, and works in other places around the world, continuing to spread the gospel. And so he leaves, but he still writes letters to continue to check up on the churches, to either give encouragement, even rebuke, to, to, so they can fix their che- teaching, whatever's going on, and to, to give them news or if he's coming or leaving or, or whatever it is. So we can see that throughout all the other letters in the New Testament. So we see like the book of Ephesians is written to the church of Ephesus. Paul's writing a letter to them. We see the book of Galatians written to the church in Galatia. We see the book of Colossians written to the, book, to the church of Colossae. And so we see this and we kind of see a pattern through all of them of some sort of teaching or rebukement or encouragement. But Romans is a little different. Romans, he hasn't been to Rome, to Rome yet. He's writing a letter to the Romans because he's uncertain if he's actually going to make it. He's uncertain. So he's writing an all-inclusive encompassment of all that he needs to share with them in case he can't make it. So he's, he's writing this whole story of who God is, what's wrong with the world, and what is God's solution for all of it. But he sets off with a little bit of a different tone than we see in other letters. He's, he's actually starting with... with more of, of like a sadder, like, like condemning tone. Like I can't imagine if I were the person, like the, the person who got the letter from the mailbox, so whatever in Romans, whatever, it was like 2,000 years ago and opened it and it was like, uh, okay, this is a guy named Paul. He says he wants to come to share some good news of the gospel of some sort and we're all wicked because of sin, of adultery, malice, uh, fornication, all this stuff, etc. Wow, nice to meet you, Paul. Thank you very much. Doesn't seem like a really good tone to set for being like 
the first time he's, he's writing to these people. But he's setting up not just like this weird thing, this guy named Paul is writing weird things all, all the way to Rome. He's, he's, he's trying to show what is wrong, what's wicked, how sin, how the, the depravity of man, the thing that we all lack has, has infiltrated the whole world and this wickedness has manifested in sin. Sin being something that's pulling us away from God, it's going against God's word and his will for us. And so he's listing, listing almost like a guilty charge on the people of this world. So Romans 1 is a little bit different than Romans 2. Romans 1 is, if you were to give it a title, it would be like, the Gentiles are guilty, exclamation mark. The Gentiles, the people who don't follow God, don't know God, don't know the Jewish law and the Bible. He's, he's, he's explaining how the outward sin, people who, who aren't getting themselves involved in sexual sin, homosexuality, um, murder and malice and slander, all that's listed in, in Romans chapter 1. It's, it's giving a... a it's, it's condemning like outward sin, sin that you can point at someone on the street saying, they're doing something bad, I can see it from afar. And showing that all the people who are doing that, they're guilty. We move into Romans chapter two, which we're gonna read a few verses in a few seconds. And you can title this one like, the Jews are guilty, exclamation mark. And he, he's, he's outlining almost a sin that is inward, sin that you, you can't really see. He's writing to an audience that knows the law. They know the Bible. They know technically what not to do wrong. And they're really good at hiding it. They're really good religious, legalistic, Jewish, religious people. So, but there's still a part of the human heart that's wrong that still does stuff on the inside. And so we have to look at that context in order to understand what we're going to be reading in Romans 2, 1 through 11 today. So if you have your Bibles, open them to 2 through 11, uh, Romans 2, 1 through 11. We're going to read through that right now, all right? So we'll start off. It'll be on the screen if you need it. It says this. Therefore... Underline that or highlight it. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous, righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patient and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Intense verse, it's a big block. We're going to work through it in, in a good chunk tonight. This passage, as you can kind of see from the beginning, focuses on the idea of, of judging other people and how easy it is to point the, the outward sin of other people that we see. See, this, this passage kind of contrasts two types of judgment, like one, like being judgmental, and two, like the judgment of God himself, who's the perfect judge. And we see this, this, this contrast because there's a judge that we want to be on the inside versus the true judge who God is. And it's easy for, 
for all of us to point out the things that other people are doing wrong. I'm especially good at it. Just ask one of my roommates if they don't meet like my like unattainable cleaning standards, like they'll, they'll see my wrath and fury that, that Romans 2 talks about. But we all are so easy to point out and judge other people. If I were to give like a judgment for, uh, a definition of judgment for tonight, it'd be that judgment is pointing out the sin of others to justify the sin in yourself. It is so, it's being so taken up in the faults of other people that you neglect to consider the faults in yourself. Jesus kind of gives this definition through this illustration in Matthew 7. He says this, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is an illustration given by Jesus explaining how we all have issues in ourselves. We all have sin. We all have problems. And it's so easy for us to point out the, the little thing that someone else is doing when we got big junk in ourselves that's causing us to be just as sinful. And we can see this in Romans chapter 2 from the very beginning, how it's so easy for us to judge others when we have when we have the wickedness in us ourselves. But I want to point out one important thing. That first word, I told you highlighted, therefore. When I was in junior high, my youth pastor would always tell me, whenever you see the word therefore, you got to ask, what is it there for? We can't just look at the passage by itself and just say, okay, cool, God's telling me, be nice to other people, don't be judgy, because that's not being a good person. No, he's saying, look, we look at chapter one, we look at what it's there for, and we got to see in the past, right before, because like, therefore, it's connecting, it's connecting sentence. Imagine I like walked in the conversation and I like heard someone say like, I just want to die. Or said, therefore, I just want to die. Well, they could either want to die because of some traumatic thing that's going on in life or they had Taco Bell after young adult service. You know, like there's, there's a big spectrum there. So we got to look at this. What's happening before here? Why is it therefore? What is it therefore? And we can see in Romans chapter one, he's pointing out the sin of, of the Gentiles or people who don't know the law, people who are in obvious sin and pointing out like we all are sinful. So you can, you can make the connecting phrase like since we're all sinful, therefore you cannot judge other people because you're just as sinful too. We all have this wickedness inside of us that Paul is making such a clear point that it's, it's not on us to judge other people because of the wickedness that's inside of us. It doesn't end there with that sad, con- condemning tone. He, he continues to show that as we move on, as we move back to verse six, that the works that are done through honoring and glorifying God reflect the heart of God in, in a way that shows our faithfulness to him. It's so easy to be caught up in one pointing the sin of, of other people and two to be caught up in the fact that, oh, bad people are going to hell. Because when we look at this, we see, we see not only this condemnation about all those who are unrighteous and ungodly, but we also see the hope that for doing good and following God's will and plan for our life, we're able to to see the freedom that comes with Jesus. We see this in a powerful story in John chapter eight, where Jesus puts a group of people like this, maybe you can call them legalistic 
religious type of people. He puts them in their place of, of this type of judgment. So for brevity, we're not going to read the entire passage, but to give you a little bit of an idea, Jesus comes out to the Jewish temple. He teaches there, and the people who are in charge there, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they don't like it. They're not a fan of him. So he's like teaching the people there, and, and they come out, and they're like, whoa, 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 we got to test this guy. We don't like him. We have an idea. So they bring out this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. I don't know, she was helping a man cheat on his wife, or she was cheating on her husband. We don't know exactly what it is. We don't know her name, but we know she was caught in adultery. And these Pharisees, they bring her before Jesus, and like, Jesus, since you say you know God so well, that means you must know the law. If you know the law, that means if someone caught in adultery, that means they gotta die. Is, is that what you would do, right? If you know the law, like, is, 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 that, is that something that's, that's correct? Would you keep the law like that? If you read in, in John 8, 6, it says this. You can follow along on the screen. It says this. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his fingers on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. See, we're not exactly revealed what Jesus writes to these Pharisees. But I would imagine something that good enough to get them to, to run away. Maybe he wrote out an exact list of sins that they'd each committed. When he wrote down their name, name one, everything they had done. Name two, everything they had done. Pointing out to each one of these people that they are not without sin. That just because they know the rules, just because they know the law, just because they, they put on a good outward expression of who God is and what the law says, then that holds them at a higher level than everyone else. But no, no one is without sin in this case. Romans 2 points out this exact principle that all of us are equally condemned because of our sin. Because we'll always fall short. We're never going to be good enough because there's sin in us that's, that's going to always pull us away from God. However, Romans 2 also points out that there is freedom when we choose the righteousness of God in our hearts. That, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus as it says in the Bible that that. Yes, we, we ought to be condemned. We deserve to be condemned. But through Jesus, we don't have that condemnation. But tonight, I don't wanna, want you to walk away with the wrong message. Tonight, it can be easy to walk away, to go home and tell your mom what you learned tonight at church that, oh, we're not supposed to judge others. Don't be judgmental because I'm bad and you're bad. No, that's not what tonight's message is about. Tonight, I hope you walk away with the idea that your relationship with Jesus is reflective of where your heart is. Your relationship with Jesus is reflective of where your heart is. This passage is not just pointing out some moral or ethical standard of just being a good person, like don't judge because that's mean, like I said before. Rather, it challenges us to posture our hearts or to evaluate the posture of our hearts and if it reflects our heart for Jesus and his heart for us. See, if you spent any time with me at all, you would uh, find out... That's a weird sound. Within 15 seconds, maybe less, that I am 100% and proudly Lebanese. 
I've always wondered how long it would take me to mention from the stage how proud I am to be Lebanese because it, it hasn't happened young adults yet, but if you speak to me for five seconds, you will find out very, very quickly. Both my parents, they grew up in Lebanon around 16. When they were 16, they, they moved here and they met, they got married, and I'm proudly 100%. Like, we did 23 and me, and it shows that I'm like 99.7% Canaanite, which is like ancient Lebanese people. I've been proud of it my whole life. Well, you'd also find out within a few seconds of, of me being Lebanese that I tend to, you know, find out or to point out to you that we've invented pretty much everything and how everything, everything that has to do with the world we know as of today is, has some roots of Lebanon. And it's pretty easy for me to, to, to do that because, you know, it's something I've been so ingrained with. Usually, like, I'll say some cool fact, like, I don't know, some celebrity you didn't know was Lebanese or that some, like, Bible history about has rooted with Lebanon or that, like, all of Mexico was invented by Lebanon. Don't, don't quote me on that. But the thing that we do that we're so easily able to point out and something that, that I feel like God intentionally put in our design that I hate and I hate about myself is the Lebanese quality of being judgmental. It's, it's, it's crazy. And I'm sure so many cultures around the world feel the same way, but I swear, like, when God was designing Lebanese people, he was like, I'm going to write judgment all over their face. Like, it's, it's, it's that obvious. And for me, that came to fruition in my life very evident, like, it's very evident. When you look at my family, our culture, how, how funny we, we, we try to make things to you, and really we're saying things about, pe- behind, about people behind their backs in either another language that you can't understand well, Trust me, it, it's, it, it's, it happens a lot. The point I'm trying to make is not just to point out how Lebanese I am or whatever, but to point out that this has had an impact on my life. You know, like, I can be judgy and say things in my head or whatever, but it wasn't until that I, I, I kind of got this moral compass of the Bible, like, in me. Once I started to get old enough to, you know, memorize the Ten Commandments or whatever, that when, once I compared the, the, the Bible compass, I compared the, ju- the judgmentalness together, it didn't go so well. It actually completely blinded my faith for the longest time without me knowing it. Because I knew the rules and my, you know, like antics of having to do everything perfectly right, like I said earlier with the cleaning, like it played out so much so that I developed a disdain and a disgust for people who broke the rules. This, judge, this judgmentalness that literally took a grip of my faith in Jesus. So much so that, like, it blocked all compassion for other people. Because I'd, I'd get to high school or whatever, and I'd see people doing wrong things with each other or whatever, going drinking and doing drugs, having sex, whatever you can think about. It, I'd say, those people deserve to go to hell. Those people, like, they don't know Jesus. Good. They, they might as well not, because if they're doing bad things like that, look at me, I'm... I know the rules. I'm a rule follower. I follow directions really well. I had this self-inflated view that was measured based on the number of church services I went to, the how many hours I served in preschool on Sunday mornings, how much I did stuff to know the Bible, know Bible stories. And I was doing horrific things publicly, privately, in my head, doing, saying, and thinking things that were just as sinful as the things I was looking at. And I was justifying my own sin with the sin of the other people that I was seeing. I I was trying to take God's work into my own hands to point out whether to myself or to God or to anyone who's around me the things that other people were doing wrong. I had this knack to make sure that things had to be done perfectly right and that involved pointing out everyone's little things that they they were messing up on. 
See, Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We're not talking about vengeance, but I thought this verse was appropriate because you could replace vengeance with, with judgment. It is God's job to point out the wrong and right in people and because he is the perfect God taking what is wrong and setting it right. He's not just a God who shames you for doing the wrong things and, and has a, a cruel, I don't know, mission for you to suffer because you're doing wrong things. The, the judgmental mentality of mine blocked all understanding of Jesus' compassion that led him to die for sinners like you and me. See, God is the perfect judge who wipes away our death sentence because of grace. There's a death sentence that we owe. And a good judge, a normal judge, would follow through with that. But God's grace through Jesus Christ sets us free from that death sentence. See, for me, I had to learn to let God do the judging on his own. Not judging in the sense that he was going to send people to hell or heaven or whatever, hoping that they got what they deserve. But to allow him to guide what he made as right and wrong. Because I know one day you and I are all going to stand before God and have to give an account for all of our life, for all the things that we're going to do wrong, for all the things that we did right, and we're going to have to stand before God and receive his judgment in a way. And the thing that really changed me was when I realized that that was the case, I, I couldn't bear to think that I was going to stand before God, and he was like, bro, why are you doing my job? Not in a selfish way, but to say, looking at it like, if you can't have a heart for me, how are you supposed to lead other people to me? I would hate to think that my judgment, my, my knack for having things to, to be right all the time and point out people's sins, if it was going to pull, pull me away from Christ, imagine the damage it would do for other people when I got to know them. See, tonight, friends, for you, I want you to see that tonight is not some moral good Bible lesson that you can find on someone's Instagram bio, but tonight is about truth. Tonight, the truth is that we all are lacking. The truth is that we will never be enough no matter what self-help book tells you you're enough or no matter what friend of yours tells you enough, you're not gonna be enough. But the only way to be enough is because God is enough. And that Jesus' death on the cross was enough Grace to save you and I when we put our faith in him. See, in that previous season of mine, my heart truly reflected where my faith in God was at. It was a weak faith in God that reflected a weak understanding of a compassion for other people. So, for all of you here tonight, whether you've chosen to know Jesus and to make him the center of your life, whether you've whether you're new, whether you don't even know who Jesus is, I want you to walk away with not a moral lesson just to be nice to people, but a deep understanding that the sin that floods all of us can only be wiped away by the one who holds the key to our freedom. That God himself, as we'll see as we journey through Romans the next few months, that God himself has given us a solution. That key, that solution is Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years ago, he took the death sentence that we owe for our wickedness. He died on the cross, but it didn't end there. 
Three days later, he rose, and he rose victorious, defeating death and sin for those who put their trust in him. So tonight, I want you to walk away with a hope and encouragement that when you put your faith in Jesus, that means seeing a compassion for other people that leads away from judge, a judgmental mentality. Because for me, I know it affected my faith, and for you, I don't want other people to experience the same thing I did. But that the perfect solution given by God can be accepted for all those even with the most wicked heart. And that those sinful hearts can be cleared and found with freedom through Jesus Christ. And to ultimately, ultimately means what it says in the second half of that passage you read tonight, to honor and glorify the name of God himself. When the way we live our lives through our actions through our thoughts, and through the things we say and do. So tonight, Jesus is always the way, tonight and always. So let's pray, and we'll move on to discussion questions. Father God, we thank you for your truth, God. That your truth is not a cruel God who just wants to torture us for doing bad things, Father, but you are a God who sees the wrong in us and wants to set it right. God, that we have the opportunity to come to you, God, when we come to fruition with the reality that we aren't good enough. That Romans 2 says that, that ultimately our freedom is found when we choose the perfect righteousness in you, God. And I pray for each person here tonight that they would see that, that they would see the truth that you are the only way. That judgment is yours because you are the perfect judge, God. And freedom is yours because you are the source of freedom, God. So God, I pray over tonight that all we say and do will glorify you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.